welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. When John C. Maxwell said teamwork makes the dream work, could he have possibly known that dream would eventually be shared with robots? You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. Our guest today is Craig Taylor, a professional e-skater and robotics and automation expert. We discuss the difference between collaborative robots and traditional industrial robots, and how these cobots are revolutionising the manufacturing industry by redefining teamwork between humans and machines. We'll also address the common misconceptions, explore some innovative applications, and hear Craig's insights on how you can implement cobots in your business. I trust you'll enjoy the interview. Craig, thanks for joining us here on Manufacturing Tech Australia. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Craig, for those not so familiar with collaborative robots, can you give us a bit of an overview of why cobots are different from traditional industrial robots? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. A cobot is basically called a collaborative robot. It's collaborative in its nature. Now, it comes from two sides. The first side being it is supposed to work with humans, so it can actually be not caged. It actually can be in a working environment, picking and placing things, vacuuming product up and placing it. The other side of it, and I like to explain to people being collaborative, it's collaborative in nature. So instead of being an industrial robot where you need somebody with multitude of degrees or experiences, an operator who with minimal training can actually get into work in one of these quite quickly and quite easy. So it's collaborative by nature and collaborative by use is, is what I like to try and explain to people. Craig, when I think about robots and particularly early cobots, I think about welding, machine tending, things like that. In terms of what mobile automation does and the modern cobots, what are the sort of typical applications that you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, Shane, that's really a good question. With the mobile automation, obviously I've been here at this company for five, six years now. We've seen the, the trends move around to some more, more scientific approaches. So in Australia, obviously CSIRO and these sorts of organizations are showing a lot of interest. Educational facilities are using them to try different things because they're so easy to use that they experiment a lot and they can actually set up a process really fast with them. That's starting to move more into industry and some there's a lot of companies out there now actually putting them into production lines. But for me in mobile automation, we've been a bit of the social lubricant to actually put more robots into the hands of people. We haven't done a lot of solutions ourselves up until late. We've done, I think we did about seven or eight actual cobot solutions for clients last year, which is we're getting more and more of them asking. But at the same time, a lot of our clients are doing a lot of processes by themselves. It's really interesting to see. Cobalt welding was something that was started early on, but is actually evolving as well. And it's getting more technical. They're trying to use cobots for more technical welding now. But the reason being is there's big jobbing shops who want to be able to set up a robot next to something, program it really fast, make it do a couple of passes, and then move it to something else. So we're seeing a lot of mobile, and it's, it goes with our name, mobile automation, but we're seeing a lot of robots become mobile in their presence around a workshop. So they'll work at one machine for a few hours, then work on another machine for a few hours. Well, they might sit there for three weeks or a month or two months and then get picked up and then move somewhere else for another process, whether it be moving from welding to a pick place job or even plasma cutting. We've seen some robots recently be put into plasma cutting. I think the collaborative nature of the robot, especially the universal robot, is it can be used and utilized in many different facets within a facility, not just fixed location on a bench or on a work stand with safety fencing and caging and light curtains. And it's not contained. It's basically free to the world to be used at any time for whatever you want. 
And the redeployment is the thing, I suppose, Paul and I have spoken about in the past. The redeployment of cobots is, in essence, what they're really all about. You buy a robot, you work it for six months doing something, and then you pick it up and you move it over to work somewhere else for six months. It allows that continuous evolution of the product. And that's what we see as being one of its one of its key factors being a differential between industrial robots as well. I think that key word there, Craig, is flexibility, isn't it? Like you said, moving it around from one station to the next. And I think that's also what's making it affordable for SMEs now. If they can try it in one application and like you say, welding or pick and place, or we've seen drilling applications, even packaging is probably a quick win, making cartons or inserting products into boxes. So versatile that you don't have to put all your ROI into that one application. You can share it around and try it in different things and that use that sort of eventual experimental nature to try different things and see where it's going to work. Absolutely, Paul. I think having customers having the flexibility, I think right now we've got low unemployment in Australia, the numbers are lowering which people are looking for more options to see what they can do. And this adds another dimension to their thought process of, okay, I do have that potential packaging problem where I need to have somebody working, just putting those parts in a box for six hours a day. They can put a cobot there, program it in a couple of hours, and they're up and running, and then all of a sudden they're getting their value for money back, and they're not putting any strain on their workforce. And that might be a job that runs for a few weeks. It might run for a couple of months, but it's not changing their headcount or anything else that actually just adding value to the actual business itself straight away. And I think that's really important. What are some of the common mistakes customers make or people who are trying to adopt this technology make? I suppose the big ones are traditional industrial robots have a place in the market just as cobots do. And they're very different, Shane. And I'll probably point this out as being that the key factors is people don't understand their cycle times all the speeds they have to actually travel the robot to actually pick and place something or do a process. So they pick a cobot thinking that it's going to be super fast. And then they get into the process and they start building the solution and realize quite quickly, actually, this is not fast enough. I should have gone with something else. And the cobot is there. It's made to be safe around human beings and it's made to be adaptable to an environment that doesn't have to change because the robot gets put into the environment. Now, that also comes with risks. So you can't go too fast, you can't impact a human being. And that's where cobots fit. But the mistake is they put a robot in there thinking they can go five times faster than a human, which is generally speaking an incorrect answer. The other thing is I've seen a little bit lately and it's people trying to experiment probably too far is putting dangerous equipment on the front of the robot. Being a cobot, you can't put a razor or a Stanley knife or a nail gun on the front of a cobot. It's just not right. And it, and they get caught up in the risk assessment thing. If WorkSafe comes through and does an inspection, then there's an issue with it. Then they have to cage the cobot, which is not what it's actually intended for. So it's not intended use. So that brings me into the next part of it, I suppose. We are doing a lot of a lot more work around assisting customers with risk assessments because risk assessments are the things that are going to make sure that it, the job is appropriate for a cobot. Other things is they're trying to do complex things, sometimes that are doable, but sometimes are maybe a stretch too far with the cobot. Cobots are supposed to be, in essence, a simplistic robot to do a process easily without any stress. And unless you're a university or an education facility that does that deep dive into the programming, it's probably majority of our customers, 99% of our customers don't go there, but occasionally you get one that wants to try and it and it falls short because it can't do something that a traditional industrial robot can do and they're expecting it to do that. These are two different animals and we have to treat them as two different animals. And there's a place for each of them, by the way, too. 
So Craig, I think you're, you're totally right on looking at robot safety and making sure people are using these right because they are able to be controlled and set up internally by different staff members with limited training. So we've looked at some of those issues and safety risks and things like that. We have seen some people get quite creative with cobots, putting them on tracks or vertical lifts and customizing grabbers and doing all these kinds of things. What about some of the opportunities that you're seeing that's going untapped at the moment? I think the one thing that cobots we don't understand enough about and Universal Robots, I know it's a brand I promote and sell as part of my business and where I work. But the reality of that is, is I always talk about it like the Apple suite of robots. You go into the app store and you buy whatever you want. And I honestly feel that Universal Robots has that in the robot space. You want a gripper or some sort of scanner or a camera, they've set their own app store up on their website where you can actually go and find what you need quite easily without too much complexity and find the specifications to actually make those components work for you quite easily too. So it is really simple to actually find the components, put them all together, put them on the robot and actually make them work. And once all those opportunities are taken advantage of, it makes it very simple. Now, when it comes to processes, Paul, and I suppose that's coming back to your question, we've seen people do 3D scanning with cobots. We've seen them, and recently we just put a cobot, a UR10 on a track. So we've got a 1.8 meter long track, and that was to open up the work envelope of the robot. Obviously we, we've done vertical lifts with them as well. So a couple of meters high, if you want to palletize a two meter stack of boxes or cartons with product in them. So those sorts of things are happening quite regularly. RMIT have been 3D printing concrete off the nozzle of a robot. And it comes back into the software platform as well. So being an open platform software package, we can actually script straight from the laptop straight to the robot as well. So there's a lot of advantages to use such a product like this. And realistically, what I'm seeing is the sky's the limits. The limitation is your thought process about what you want to try and achieve. The luxury with the universal robots is you can actually put a robot in and try something different. If it doesn't quite work out, you can redeploy it or change and go in a different direction quite quickly. And that's a really big opportunity that the industrial robots, unfortunately, you can't do with. You build them, design them, and put them in. And that literally, it becomes a static robot for a very large portion of time because it's expensive to put in that way. But I've seen a multitude dispensing, glue, hot melt, assembly. We've had one customer that put seven robots in a production line in integrating with a whole heap of bowl feeders and everything. And that was locally in Melbourne. They actually decided to build their production line around UR as their core robot. They bought a robot, they played with it during the start of COVID. They figured out what they could do. And then they went on and bought another five or six for a production line. And they're now they're reshoring in the process of doing that. So for them, it was a learning process is actually adding value back into the country again, which is, I suppose, what we're all here for, isn't it really? To try and make business grow. So they've reshored affordably. The engineering's cost them a bit of money, but they did it themselves. They didn't have an engineering company do that for them. We supported them with a whole heap of answering a lot of questions, try this hardware, try this, do this. And that's what we do. That's where we're here to try and support as much as we can. But they did, in essence, they did everything themselves. And that's the essence of what we believe a cobot is here for is to empower the manufacturing companies, the users, the doers, the engineers, and try and make money and put money back into their pockets rather than keep blowing it. So Craig, I think the integration side is really important. And like you mentioned, the off the shelf end arm effectors and things like that. But I guess there's also things around the software as well. We've seen some startups in Australia where they've put together some pretty nifty software packages to take CAD directly and straight into welding packages and things like that to make that 
whole you know, translation of design through to manufacture so much easier. So I think there's also lots of room for innovation in that space, potentially even with AI and using more advanced tools to, to make that happen as well. Yeah, look, I've been fortunate in my career. I started in the toolmaking industry back in, I think it was 1990 or something or 91. And I got straight into robots three or four years into my working career. And I've been with robots ever since. I've seen the last five or 10 years, I've seen such progression in the industry. And as you say, Paul, I mean, there are some amazing software packages out there now do working straight from CAD and actually developing the robot code as well. There's products that actually just plug and play. There's software packages. There's a gentleman in South Australia who I work with who's developing a software package for the UR robot to work with another welding package that's local as well. And what he's actually doing is he's actually creating a whole web-based platform that will allow the robot to weave and do all this sort of thing. All the advanced welding functions, I think he's working on multi-pass at the moment as well. For welding, it's really high-end stuff but he's building a package to just plug and play straight into the robot. And I think the reality of what Cobots is bringing to the market is that sense of the limitations we had before are no longer there. It's allowing them to advance and try things. And I think my severe love of Cobots is that people are not afraid to try something because it's not price inhibitive anymore. When I started in robots, an average industrial robot would cost you between 150 and $300,000. You know, that same industrial robot now is about $75,000. So if you put it in context, a collaborative robot is somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000, depending on what type you buy, unless you go into the larger one, but there are a few larger ones on the market, which push up a little bit higher. But it's not inhibitive of a company to actually buy things and try things now, which is fantastic. It's really is making everybody think about their futures. Just on that, thinking about the future, and projecting forward, but now I'm putting you on the spot and expecting you to be Nostradamus here, but <laughs> you talk about the ease with which these things can be adopted. The fact that the barrier to entry in terms of cost is reduced and labor shortages in terms of high employment rates. What I'm thinking about is, do you see us getting to a point where, you know, that fear factor kicks in that oh, all the jobs are going to go to robots or alternatively, do you see a world where we're increasing our local manufacturing capacity with this kind of combination of human operators and robots together at scale? Where, where do you think things are going? Shane, it's probably the million dollar question. Everybody's afraid that robots will take my job. And realistically with chat GPT at the moment, AI is going to take our jobs as well. It's something that I've had to deal with this question for a long time. My personal opinion is that if we don't use robots, we have a lot of young people coming into the working, their working careers who don't want to do certain tasks. Now we either embrace the manufacturing industry in Australia and keep working with it and actually work around the environment that if it's really horrible and dangerous and disgusting work, can we take those jobs out of play and put a robot in there? And how do we do that in the best way possible? And can we make our kids really smart to actually make careers out of this and actually build careers around making these things smart so manufacturing continues? Do I think that we're going to have a perfect world moving forward into this? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people and unfortunately a lot of naysayers that say robots will take our jobs. There are countries around the world and I did work through Southeast Asia, South Africa and China and the uptake of robots, industrial and collaborative in those areas, um, are smashing it. They are just going gangbusters. And the reason they're going gangbusters is because if they don't use them, they can't compete. Countries like China, for example, wages are going up. 
they do believe that their opportunity for unemployment and so forth, or they're, the people that they've got that aren't employed right now is going to reduce. So they're prepping themselves for tomorrow. Australia, we're prepping ourselves for the Neverland. We're not actually looking at the future. We're working for today and worrying about today. And I think in all honesty, I'd love to see robots in factories, four or five people working with a robot next to them. I'd love to see more robots in industry. I'd love to see more of our young youth coming through into manufacturing. And if the idea of technology can bring them along even better, I'd love to see a future that is more automated. And hopefully manufacturing, we don't get shut down or don't lose our manufacturing from not doing it. And I do believe that I hear the government say things about technology businesses are going to be the leaders. They are, but they only hire a small number of people. My personal way of thinking is we need to stay with general manufacturing as well, because that's where the abundance of people are employed. So we need to give our future of our young people actually the opportunity to work. And I do believe that robots will actually help embellish that and help that grow rather than decline it. Craig, I think, and you can probably vouch for this in the businesses that you see, but the ones that I see, the ones adopting robots and cobots, they're not really replacing people with robots. They're basically businesses that are growing so fast. They really need assistance to automate their manufacturing or, or whichever kind of business they are. I've really only seen it in those high growth businesses that are moving fast using automation and different technologies to, to gain that competitive advantage. Yeah, I, from my perspective, I don't see robots taking jobs. It's more a case of augmenting and adding value where they can and really helping to redeploy that human workforce to those higher value added jobs. Yeah, I suppose, Paul, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've been in this industry for such a long time and I've installed a lot of robots around the country as well as overseas. And I've only ever had one company decide that they wanted to let people go when they installed robots. Now it was a big company. It was over in South Africa. They laid off 20 people when we finished commissioning the robots and their customers said, now that you can do this, can you go faster? And they said, yes. And the kicker of this one was, is the actual, the owner of the company had to go and re-employ those 20 people back at pay rises because he let them all go. And the customer ended up getting double the amount of product who was getting that product from a country making lesser quality product. And literally those 20 people were re-employed overnight. So in 20 plus years of working with industrial robots and collaborative robots, I've never really seen anybody get displaced in their employment. If anything, if a company is putting robots in, they're actually trying to hunt out new work and they're being progressive. They're trying new things and they're trying to push their businesses forward, which then creates this whole vacuum of, okay, I've got more work now. What do I do next? And it's either, do I employ more people? Yes, I'll try. And can I put another robot in to try and help make this move faster in a positive direction as well? So one question starts to follow the other. And I've seen customers, some of my customers over the years who I've been lucky enough to deal with for a long time, and I'll make known of them, Hilton Manufacturing down in Bangholm in Victoria, who's close and dear to my heart, great company, but they started in pushing robots into their facility a long time ago, 20 plus years ago. Now they, I would say they've got, they must have 20 odd robots there and they replace them. They, but they have got such a good level of a workforce as well. They use one to complement the other. They don't do anything, but, and they, when they grow as a company, they hire more people, buy a few more robots, and then they go through it. They're not a big cobot user at all, but the mentality is that robots complement the business. They don't take the jobs, they complement the business. And I think that's what 
a good smart company will do is find the happy medium between the two and find what works for them, but also what works for them with their personnel as well. Craig, it seems to me that there's an opportunity here. I'm thinking about some of the organizations I work with and it's a particular manufacturer who's got a 12 to 18 month lead time on some of their products at the moment. They've already sold their 12 months worth of capacity well before the year starts. And I'm thinking through, there's an opportunity there to run a second shift, but they can't find enough humans to be able to staff a second shift to be able to do that. seems to me that maybe for organizations that are looking to grow and therefore need to output more product, that a 70 thousand dollar capital investment once off is a lot cheaper than a human straight up if i can't find those humans anyway i'm not upsetting a role i could give to a person this is literally additional capacity to add into my production line it's largely a one-off cost until maybe it needs replacing in the future and depreciate the asset so there's a whole bunch of reasons why this would make a whole bunch of sense so if I'm sitting here as a business owner now listening to this thinking, you're right, this does make a whole bunch of sense. I really should look into it. What's the next step? Where should I go from here if I want to really entertain this? I suppose if you're a business, the one place to start is local. Go to your local councils, your local industry groups. And from there, I'd probably go into maybe looking at trade shows in your local area. Trade shows are a great place for you to go freely walk around without being imposed by anybody and actually do a little bit of homework yourself without feeling embarrassed or that you're asking the questions or imposing on somebody or being, I suppose, forced into the sale of something straight away. From that point forward, I start looking for some system integrators and I suppose some opportunity to find what you're wanting to fix because realistically for a solution or for a cobot or an industrial robot, I suppose as well, they're the same is you're trying to find a solution, reach out to system integrators like myself at mobile or competitors as well. Reach out to us and ask us to come and have a look around and see what you're trying to achieve. I'm more than happy to go and answer a question. You're going to get on my list to follow up and see how you're going. But at the same time, I'm here to help the industry grow. I'm also part of what we call SEMA here in Melbourne, Southeast Melbourne Manufacturing Alliance. And so there's people like SEMA as well in, in, in our local area, which actually connects companies with people like myself who can help them as well. I think we've got IACA and a number of others. We've also got Oz Industry Group, which can do that as well. There are a number of bodies in the local, in your local regions, which will actually be able to connect everybody up. I suppose the other thing to do is if you want to go down that path is searching online, you can go through and look for, obviously look up Cobot, but look for the brands. So look up Universal Robots, look up Albo, A-U-B-O is another brand. There's a couple of brands out there, but if you look up the word Cobot and search around, you may find some stuff. There's always a lot of communication through LinkedIn, which I'm very prominent on. And there's a lot of information just being gathered on LinkedIn all the time as well. So if you are a member or you are present on LinkedIn, it's a great place to do a little bit of light research. And that'll also probably tell you where some local industry groups are, or also those, some of those trade shows that you can go to and have a bit of a wander around in as well. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us today. I think businesses will get a lot out of the episode. Hopefully learnt a little bit about how they can implement some cobots and robots in their business and what are some of the pros and cons. So thanks for joining us today and I will catch you soon. Thanks for having me, Paul and Shane. It's been a pleasure being here and hopefully I've given a little bit of insight to what my world's about and hopefully I can create some interest and somebody else might dive in soon. Perfect. Thanks again, Craig. Thank you. for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website.
Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.